What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Before you mash that fast forward button to move to the beginning of today's episode, I'd like to quickly tell you about some ways you can support the show and everything that I'm doing right now. You can support the show on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Again, just go on over to patreon.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Become a patron for as little as $5 a month. Or you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and a review. It's incredibly important with the way iTunes works. So if you have a second, please leave a rating and or review and subscribe on iTunes. Uh, you can listen to the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else you get your podcasts. You can check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com. That is on my previous episode, a link to my newsletter, and all my articles that I've written. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at Chase double underscore Thomas. You can like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer, or you can just tell a friend you found this independent sports podcast that they should check out too. Thank you for listening. You're all the best. And I think we've reached the point in this intro where my uncle Darren can play me in. All right, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right. Welcome back to the Chase Thomas Podcast. We're recording this on a Monday afternoon. Yovan Bua is on the line. And Yovan, are you over Summer League yet? You're back in LA, but are you over it? Can you like, are you getting some PTSD from just seeing highlights of DeAndre Ayton doing stuff? Or are you still able to dive back in into like, oh man, SGA might actually be okay um, with Summer League? Uh, I'm pretty burned out. I, I would, I would, not recommend seven days in Vegas to anybody. Um, you know, thankfully the athletic was, was paying for a lot of stuff. So it kind of made it more palatable, but, uh, yeah, seven days in Vegas is rough. Uh, I don't think I went to bed before 4am any of the nights. Uh, and, uh, was it wasn't you know some of those nights were were late because I was out some of those were late because I was working and it's just uh summer league is no joke it's just getting bigger and bigger and I keep waiting for it to get like too big and I I've never been and I don't think I'll ever go it doesn't interest me like that is the exact opposite of the way my personality works where like I would be overwhelmed and just like go to my room after three and a half hours just being there and being like, and just seeing everybody talking to everybody, I'd be like, well, I'm exhausted and uh, I've seen enough. I don't know. I think I'm going to book a flight back to Atlanta the next morning. Like I, it's really tough for me to go through all of that. That's why the podcast works so well is that I'm usually not in the same room with the the guests. (laughs) I can, uh, I don't get burnt out on all of this, but um, how do you do it? Do you get burnt out at all? Or is it like energizing to be around every other sports blogger and writer in America um, in Vegas? Yeah. So I, I think that, um, to, to your point that you just brought up, like, I do think it is the best networking event. Um, you know, really the only one I can think of that I've been to that's close is like Sloan. Um, but at Sloan, 
it's it's a much more niche audience and like you know there there's still a lot of team executives there but again it's just like a smaller crowd and it's more of you know analytics driven and stuff whereas summer league like you know pretty much every team um you know like for for the you know just the lakers and clippers the two teams i'm going to be primarily covering like you had you know jerry west lawrence frank doc rivers um other front office people you had like scouts you had obviously the summer league teams you had uh you know a few players come and same thing with the lakers like palinka and magic and uh well actually i don't i don't know did magic i don't think magic one actually i, um, I saw palinka everywhere but, it but yeah palinka was there courtside with that yeah. with, with some of the guys that lebron came and then lonzo and kuzma and ingram and um you know multiple people you know pretty much all there scouts and front office people. so it's like you pretty much have like organizations bringing out like all of their, you know, heavy hitters for the most part. Um, and I just think it's such a great networking opportunity uh, where, you know, you get certain access to certain places because of a media badge. And um, really the only people in there are like, there's that little schmooze pit. I don't know if you read that story on ESPN uh, about mm. it, but um, you know, it's, it's behind uh, one of the baskets in Thomas and Mac. And it's just like, all media and NBA personnel. And that's just where, you know, you, you just, you see Woj and you see Zach Lowe and you see Shams and you see like, you just see all, all the big players in media. And then you also see like, like, you know, that's where LeBron walks through and like, there's just never ending people there and, and dialogues. And so I would say it's a great networking event. And, and for me, that's kind of how I viewed it even more so than like the actual, like I watched all the Clipper games, but that was like an hour a day at most. And then besides that, it was just networking, talking with people. But to to your question about the strategy, for me, you know, going about as late as I did, um, I would, you know, kind of sleep in a little bit, maybe like 10, 11, and then kind of relax and like eat breakfast, get coffee, then do some work in my hotel room and then go. So I was really not getting you there until around. You left out an hour of messing with your hair. Probably is that somewhere in there. Um, <laughs> laying out your outfit, but, uh, making sure you're the best, I mean, best uh, writer. I'm not going to give away all the details. Like, yeah. Hey, it's fine. Um, it's fine. It's a positive. Uh, but uh, yeah, but I mean, what, what, what was good and bad was that the Clippers always had the late game. Mm-hmm. So they either played at 8 or 8.30 their first three games. And, you know, those games, you're not out of there. Some of the games are pretty long. Like people don't really like they're close to two hours, kind of around two hours. So um like hour and a half to two hours and then you gotta do the post post game media and stuff so i really wasn't getting out of there until like 10 30 11 pretty much every night um and then you gotta go eat dinner and then you gotta get ready then you gotta go meet people so, so it's, it's a it's a long day but my strategy which i was able to implement just because i was covering later games was just get to the arena later mm-hmm. um but I, I really think like it's it's hard to be there longer than like six hours like you know six or seven hours is probably my max in the arena um, in the arena, like I, you know, I, I, it's just hard for me to, to, to go longer than that. Um, yeah. I respect like some people get there, at, you know, right when it opens at 12 and are Who's there. The biggest grinder? Do you have anybody where you just keep seeing them? You're like, do you ever leave? What are you doing? Um, not off the top of my head. Okay. Um, if I, was there, is he like at the point where he like, can't even be around the normies? He was there a lot. Point? He was there a okay. lot. Um, I mean, I know, like, I, I saw Ben Golver there a lot. Um, oh, I saw Sam, we, we talked about Yeah. <laughs> Sam Viceni, um, mm-hmm. 
who else? Uh, th- those two stand out as people I felt like I saw a lot. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was just, uh, I'm sure I missed some, some of the people that were there earlier. Um, but yeah, no, it, it was fun. Like it, the, the networking was fun seeing people like for me having a bunch of new coworkers and, and getting a chance to, to meet, uh, you know, a lot of the ones that were there, if not all of them. Um, Speaking yeah, I of, thought that was, that was fun. you've written yeah. a lot extensively with the athletic LA since, uh, you've made the move, which again, congratulations. And, Thank you. uh, you're, you're just bursting out. You're busting out the columns back to back to back. You are on a mission and you are grinding. And um, the Clippers, man, I think they're going to be fun for you. Like I just, it, they're really hard to figure out and I'm still not ready to just write them off of the Kawhi stuff. What were you hearing from Jerry and the Lawrence Frank and that group? What was your sense from them? Are they like planning to just go for like 45 wins this year? Or are they optimistic that things could go right when last year it went wrong in a lot of ways with injuries and stuff like that. But like, what kind of sense did you get from the Clippers brass? So what, what the Clippers are doing that, that I find is very interesting is to me, they're almost taking the approach of the pre James Harden, uh, Houston Rockets. That's really like the, those, those couple of years before they, they traded for, for James where, you know, those teams, like ever since Daryl Moore took over, they've never won fewer than 41 games. So they've yeah. always been 500 or better. And I think Maury took over in 2006. And that uh, was like an ownership the, mandate, right? Like it wasn't like, I yeah. don't think Maury would have done that un- unless the ownership was like, this is what you have to do. You have to find a way to build a winner from the middle. So, yeah, so exactly. And, and to me that this does seem almost like an ownership mandate from, from Steve Ballmer, where yeah. it does not, you know, all of his comments, you know, kind of publicly have all been basically like, I want to win. I'm willing to spend money. Um, you know, let's do this thing. I pay so a lot of money for this he, team. <laughs> exactly. And he, he does not strike me as someone who is going to swallow like, you know, three consecutive 25 one seasons. He just does not strike me as that, especially still fine, being a relatively in LA. This is a gigantic, yeah. market. it's okay for those kind of owner. Gr- it, like you want an ownership group where it's not like Reinsdorf, where it's like you hear the story this week where it's like, he was super upset about the way this season went. And like, it, you already can see how that's percolating in the rest of the front uh, office yeah. by signing Jabari Parker and re-upping Zach Levine. Um, but like Balmer, <laughs> I think it's a little bit different. I think he's a, um, He's just like, it's good to have owners, especially in big markets like that, that are going to spend, at least, you know, that they're not going to cry poverty and everything else, even though they're in this gigantic uh, media market. So um, I think it's good. I think Balmer's been very good thus far. And I mean, they've remade the front office docs staying on like I, everything's good over there. And I I think um, it's fine. I think Balmer spending and not being okay with bottoming out for three years. is fine because not everybody needs to do that, especially the big markets. Well, yeah, and and I, I think that you know that to me was the biggest reason why they should have kept Lob City together, is you know uh, kind of now paralleling a, a team in your backyard, uh, the Joe Johnson Atlanta Hawks. Yeah, I don't know exactly. You know, was that that was like seven eight year stretch there uh, where you know they, Hawks they always made the recovery. playoffs. Yeah, they they really. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for being I saw Joe. Yeah, maybe um, Joe Johnson. Yeah, great great times. Josh Smith, Al Horford, like so. Those those teams were were, yeah. (laughs) Those teams were were, but those teams at least like look you you know they had a couple years where 
made the second round. Um, I don't know if they, I don't think they ever made a conference finals with that, that iteration. No, they did not. Um, so, but still like you, you knew what you're getting, you knew you're going to have a plus 500 team or, or at least around 500. You knew you're probably going to be a low playoff seed. And, you know, depending on how the matchups broke, like, you know, maybe this year you, you make the second round and who knows, maybe you get further, but probably not, but still like you, you just, it was a, it was a kind of a safe situation. Yeah. Um, to me, that was the biggest reason to keep the Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, Chris Paul trio together, just because looking at history, like the Clippers, you know, kind of that 30 year stretch before Chris Paul came, they were, you know, arguably the worst franchise in the NBA, if not the worst franchise in sports. Poor Elgin. So, yeah. So, so for their fans, if you, you know, if you tell me as a fan, okay, well, you just endured the, you know, one of the worst 30 year stretches in, in sports history. Now we're going to give you this, this fun team with two guys, you know, top 15, 20 players, however you want to determine them at the time. Like, um, and, and you're going to have a 10 year stretch where you're going to win 50 games. You know, they won 50 games, five years in a row, like 50 plus games. Uh, you know, you're going to have a 10 year stretch around 50 wins. You're going to make the second round, maybe half those times. And like, maybe you make a conference finals, maybe you don't, but like, you're always in the playoffs. You're competitive. You're like a top five, six team perennially, and and that's that's your that's kind of your future for that ten year stretch. That to me is pretty appealing. Like it's better than having like two rebuilds in that ten year stretch. It's better than you know this team, which I, I still think this team is fun, but I, I would still rather have Blake and Chris and, and kind of going yeah. through that right now. So personally, so um, I think it all depends me, on what though, happens. Like Jerry West is by moving because it does seem like his hands are all over all of this, right? Where it just seems like when you heard the story about Blake getting moved and like who was like they jumped the opportunity to move Blake's contract, um, even after everything they did to bring him back in the summer before and just yeah. uh, the Clipper for life stuff, which obviously did not happen. Um, I, I don't know. I feel like it's just this is what happens when you go through multiple front offices, where eventually like it's hard to keep a group like that together if you bring in this whole new group who are, want to put their own stamp on the organization. So it's not surprising, but I get what you're saying where it was like, they've been so bad for so long and they finally had something. Yeah. It's not going to win a title or anything, but it was still really good and really fun. But the second doc lost uh, executive power. Like you knew things were going to change, right? Like it was, unless it was like just Lawrence Frank and doc, like it was hard to see um, them keep running it back with that, uh, with that core. Yeah, no, no. So, I mean, I, I think basically what they're doing now is a variation of that, where to go back to that Rockets comparison, uh, kind of what, what what happened with that Rockets team was it was a lot of short contracts. It was a lot of player movement. It was a lot of roster flexibility. And, you know, that's kind of when Daryl Morey got that reputation of just being a savage that would like trade his own child because he was trading so many guys. He was, you know, signing all these guys to all these short-term deals and that allowed him to, to kind of have the roster flexibility to ultimately trade for James Harden once that opportunity came up. So um, I don't think the Clippers necessarily have as many assets as obviously like the Celtics or the Sixers or even the Lakers, but I, I do think in. that, but yeah, I think they're closing in. They have a lot of attractive one and two year deals with, with veteran guys that, you know, this is a really interesting roster to me because, um, it's like a lot of like fifth, sixth and seventh guys. And, and, 
you know, on a ideally kind of, if you're looking at the pecking order of like a, a championship contender, there's a lot of guys that are like fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and it's, it's pretty, but it's pretty much like they're like 10, 11 deep with those guys. Like, I think they're one of the deepest teams in the league. Now they're lacking in star power, right? So like Tobias Harris is probably the face of the franchise right now, which is pretty crazy to say. And I wonder how like Orlando Magic fans well, I think feel Boban about that. might actually be the um, face with his dancing. Well, but, but, Boban's yeah. <laughs> shot up to the top. I think that's where that is. Yeah. And Wesley that, Johnson. I mean, he, he's a movie star now. So yeah. Boban, is, he does have the most clout on, on the Clippers roster. But mm-hmm. um, I just think it's a really fascinating situation where they are positioning themselves. You know, if if Kawhi says I'm down to go to the Clippers and, you know, open to resigning, they can execute that trade. If he wants to sign next summer, they're going to have like 50 to 70 million um, in, in cap space, depending on, you know, what, what they do with certain guys. So, uh, I, I think they're in a great situation flexibility wise. It's just also at some point, um, you know, it comes down to execution, right. And we yeah. could have all these hypotheticals. We could have all this, oh, you have this much cap space, blah, blah, blah. But like how many teams have had cap space and done nothing? Look at the, what the Dallas Mavericks just had done for like five straight summers, uh, even but the Lakers too. LA. So, uh, yeah, but so I think it's a really interesting um, comparison, and I, you know I don't want to get too much into this topic because it's something I'm I'm kind of writing about uh, okay. for for a piece, but um, I do think it's fascinating because the the Clippers are trying to they're basically rebuilding in the middle. You know, most yep. teams bottom out to rebuild. The Clippers are trying to rebuild in the middle, and it could end up being a Memphis Grizzlies situation where um, oh, you oh, know no. they're almost. Well, well, let me let me clarify. Oh, no. Like basically, <laughs> I can see a situation where you know they're already eliminated from the playoffs, or it's not looking good for them, like mid-season, and then it's kind of like, all right, we're going to kind of tank our way. Because the, the one thing to keep in mind uh, for Clipper fans, uh, the, the Clippers owe Boston a lottery-protected pick the next two drafts. So if they do not make the playoffs the next two years, uh, they keep their first-round pick, then it, it transfers over into a second-round pick. Uh, so there is incentive for the Clippers to lose in the, in the short term. Uh, obviously I'm sure they'd be thrilled to make the playoffs like seven or eight seed. But to me, it's like, what's the upside of that? You're going to get slaughtered in the first round and then you lose your, your draft pick. Uh, I'd rather, you know, miss the playoffs, get like the 10th, 11th pick, whatever. And, uh, and you know, go from there. So, uh, but, but yeah, uh, I think it is an interesting time for the Clippers and, um, it's going to be weird not being the best team in LA though. They're going to get somebody. That's my whole, like, I, I understand it's a bold take. They're going to get somebody. But Jerry West and the Arsenal, because look at just, like, the one-year deals and the guys, they, they just had a really smart offseason. They ripped away Luke Richard and Bamute from the Rockets on a one-year uh, $4.3 million deal. They signed Mike Scott. They still have Sam Decker if he ever gets healthy and shoots again. I mean, you have Pat Bev on the last year of his deal. You have Tia Dosich, who's now back. Um, Lou Williams on an amazing $8 million a year this year. Um Gortat, gigantic expiring. Tobias Harris, gigantic expiring. Avery Bradley on $12 million for two years. Like, the only bad contract they have is Gallinari, but it's only for one more year after this one. So it's just, they don't have any just awful contracts. They have a lot of, just like you said, great players that would, this team looks a lot better if there's a Kawhi Leonard on it. Like, if you surround all these guys with the superstar, it looks great. It's a perfect team. Well, I shouldn't say perfect, but like just a really good one. So I don't know, like you're already seeing with Jimmy Butler in Minnesota, like they're getting somebody like, I don't know if it's McCollum. I don't know if it's Damian Lillard. I don't know if it's uh, DeMar DeRozan, Butler, like I said, like, I just, it's going to be somebody. I just don't know who it is. Uh, I just, 
it's so, going to happen. Like Jer- I'm not betting but, against Jerry West in this group. I just I'm not doing it. I like where I'm seeing, and I think that they're going to land one of the big ones. Question for you that I think is interesting: If LeBron had gone to the Clippers with the current rosters, so not you know, like the oh, Lakers have the this. ability, like yeah. So Lakers have an easier ability at getting another star, right? Like they could trade for Kawhi, they could probably trade for for whatever is the next like disgruntled star that wants to get moved. The Lakers have that package of like you know. Lonzo or Ingram plus Kuzma plus maybe Hart and then like a first and like that gets you in, in I think in conversations with, with, with people. Um, but p- that aside, if you're just going with LeBron, I mean, cause I, as of right now, LeBron joined this Lakers squad to play next season with this Lakers squad um, versus joining the Clippers, which there would have had to be some cap gymnastics, but like, you know, it would have honestly almost been as simple as just like, okay, Avery Bradley's gone. Um, you know, you probably don't sign Mike Scott. I don't know about Luke, but they would have maybe had to dump someone. But like, for the most part, you would have still had Tobias. You would have still probably had Gallo. Uh, you would still had Lou. You know, on and on and on. Um, which roster is better? Because at first I thought I was thinking Lakers, but the more I looked at it, I was like, you know, there's a lot of three and D guys on the Clippers, and like, there's just a lot of like role like. I just almost feel like there, there's a lot of cleaner like fit and role with the Clippers than, and they're all older. Yeah, like it's just one of those yeah. things where it all it's more like, of a ready to wait. Like you know, if you're rolling out um, like Gortat, Tobias, LeBron, um, Bradley. See, I don't know who Pat wanna, Bev. Uh, Bradley and Pat Bev. Like that's a pretty. I, I think that might, and then off the bench like Lou Williams. Hello. Ga- you know, Gallo, yeah, Theodosic, like, yeah. uh, like um, maybe tries if they bring him Luke back. Richard, Mabute, Mike Scott in the corner. Yeah, like that's just that's... like SGA. Like, I don't know how that would affect him. But then again, it's still, I, dude, I have no idea what to think about him because I had a thought on him. Like once I heard uh, young Rondo, I was out and then I watched him and I'm like, oh, no, he's got a, his, his form's good. Like, I don't think he's going to be a bad shooter in the NBA. Like it's. It's not perfect. I don't. He looks small compared to everybody else, and I don't know why. But he's good, right? Like uh, I, I think he's. Uh, I was very interesting young guy. What What was interesting is like, you know, I'm I'm not the biggest like, you know, draft expert person. Like I I don't really watch college basketball. Um, you know, I keep up with the mock drafts through the year and like kind of monitor stuff. But um, you know, a lot of smart people like that that. I've, I've seen write stuff and, and talk to like, like someone like Mike Schmitz think Shea was the best point guard prospect in the draft and that it wasn't necessarily close. And now that's not including Luca as a point guard. That's put, putting him probably more as like a three. That's going to be a ball handler. Uh, but, but, but among like Trey young, Colin Sexton, Shea, a lot of people think Shea was the best prospect with the most potential. And I, I think, you know, I wrote about it now a couple of times, like what you know, he really does remind me. It's a, it's a very, you know, it's a very um, lazy comparison, but he does remind me of Sean Livingston and like a young Ooh, Sean Livingston. Okay. And I, I think that, you know, they're, they're so Sean is an inch taller, but Shea's an inch longer. So like that kind of evens out. Both were, were really skinny entering the league. The one thing with Shea that I was, I was a little bit surprised with is he's more of a scorer than I thought he was. Like I thought... Yeah. He, like if you're doing like the scoring versus playmaking kind of 
Venn diagram or whatever, you know, your pie chart. I thought it was a little bit closer to maybe like 60, 40 scoring or like 55, 45 scoring. It was more closer to like 65 or, or 70 scoring. And he, he did look to, to sh- now, I don't know if that's just summer league. And to be honest, the Clippers summer league team was pretty bad. So I don't know how much confidence he had in his teammates, but um, I, I was really impressed. Like his ability to get into the lane, he, he already has a hesitation dribble. Uh, he can already reject the screen uh, on pick and rolls. Like he, he just has like, he's just really good at manipulating the ball he and playing smart. at different paces, which is, yeah, which I think for, you know, he just turned 20, but you know, basically for a 19 year old, you know, rookie point guard, like not a lot of guys have that. Uh, yeah. he, he just knows how to change speed. Then he's, he already has a turnaround jumper in the post. He already kind of knows how to use his size, which I think is, you know, it's one thing to have the size. It's another thing to be able to use it and kind of maximize it. So I, I agree. Like, I think the biggest thing for him. So. Jeff Teague, like a tall Jeff okay. Teague. Like if Jeff Teague was I bigger, that. I can see that. I think, um, and I don't mean as a, a shot at SGA, but that's like more of who he felt like where Jeff Teague's always been a reluctant shooter, but he can shoot. He just doesn't like it. And I think, uh, Gilgis Alexander will be the same kind of guy at least early on, but like you can tell, they just understand the game. They understand how to use the pick and roll, the pick and pop. Like they, they're just smart basketball players, like high basketball IQ, but they're also just better shooters. And I think just his length is going to separate him and make him a better overall prospect. And a just uh, it's going to make him far more tantalizing on the defensive end than Teague ever could be. And that's a lot. A lot of it's just his size and frame. Like there's just only so much he could do. But like I think. Gildas Alexander actually has um, higher upside. So maybe he's a blend between Rondo and Teague, which would not be the worst thing for the Clippers. Yeah, no, I, I think Teague is a great, uh, I think that's actually a really good comparison that I hadn't thought of. Um, Cause I, I was trying to think of like what type of guys are really good at just like knifing into the lane. Like he just has a knack for getting into the lane. Uh, he, he does need to, he needs to get stronger. He needs to get, become a better finisher. Um, he, he's not great at finishing through contact yet. Um, six six and, and one twenty five, like it's yeah. Uh, so <laughs> he needs to be on the shot, like, yeah. He's not going to shoot. He he kind of has a little bit of a step back, like mid range, but but his his three, like he needs to have his feet set. He needs to have time to get a shot off. Like he's not the quickest shooter on threes. And then, but but to your point though, I I think what what really got my you know kind of my hard eyes going for for Shea was was the defensive end, like yep. Um, I think once he puts on, I, I think he's around right now, like 180, 185. Uh, I think if he puts on a good, like 10 to 15 pounds of muscle and gets closer to 200, uh, he, he should be able to start defending threes. Like already he could defend, like that was what really impressed me. was like, he, he knew when to switch for the most part. He, and, and when he switched on to big man, he held his own. Like there a couple of times they tried going at him with a big and he blocked them. Like, He's super long. Like he's longer than Blake Griffin, which I, I think you know Blake Griffin kind of uh, short wingspan. But like just to put that in perspective, like he he is like the size of like an undersized power forward, and that's your yeah. point guard. So um, that to me is like you know that's what really separates him. Is like offensively, you know, he has his faults. He's not perfect, but I think he he does have pretty good potential on that end. But defensively, if if he kind of you know just gets stronger, he's got, I think he's gonna be able to defend one through three potentially even one through four with, with how small some teams go at the four. And then, you know, he plays passing lanes. Well, he gets a lot of deflections. Like he has a lot of defensive versatility. And I think that's where, 
um, it's going to be really interesting to see. Cause like, I could also see a situation where, uh, you know, he's kind of the, the point guard on offense, but like the two or three defensively and, and yeah. the Clippers can kind of get away with having a, a smaller two, uh, you know, it would have been somewhat great for someone like Which JJ they Reddick, have where, Avery Bradley. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Like, and that, that to me is like, you know, that's where I'm, I'm really excited for, for watching the Clippers play defense. Like, uh, you know, Gortat isn't, isn't a great rim protector or, or really defender at this point, but that trio of Beverly, Bradley, Mabamute, like well, that's Harrell, gonna be really difficult we'll be to back, score, right? Because yeah, not no, I think I think Carroll, right? he has not been signed. Uh, to me, it's looking like he's probably just gonna take the qualifying offer and become a restricted, mm. uh, unrestricted. I love agent Montrezl. He's dope. He's dope, man. I, I really, uh, I think they. It, it's so weird, like this whole restricted free agent, which you know this could maybe lead to the Jabari stuff, but like uh, the market you know, things moved so quickly, you know, in part because of LeBron making his decision so early that um, I feel like the money dried up super quickly. And now you have guys like Clint Capella, um, you know, him, the Rockets can't see eye to eye on, on their situation. I think similar thing with, with Trez where like, I think if, if he got a bigger contract, the Clippers probably would have still matched it. But now at this point, it's like, who's going to pay you and why should we give you, you know, more than like three or four million dollars a year when he probably wants something closer to like eight to ten. Um, so I he just don't probably start you know. this year, I think, right? Like, I would start him, and that's a I actually, I, yeah, I, I think so. Um, I know a lot of pe- people with the Clippers thought they were actually better with, with him on the court than DeAndre, oh, right there. Um, yeah. and and you could you know, definitely make the case. Like, I, I do think Trez, uh, my concerns with him are a little bit defensively, where like I, I just don't. He seems like one of those guys that, like, the more minutes he plays, he's just bound to, like, foul out or get in foul. You know, like, he, he seems to me like a guy who's, like, you know, 20, 25 minutes are good. But if you're asking, you know, 30 to 35, it might become a problem. Uh, but that said, like, Marcin Gortat did not have a good year last year. Um, he, he's, you know, 34, going to be 35. Uh, I say, why not he's give He's someone tread. for, like, 12 minutes a night. Like, I don't think he's a starter in this league anymore. Yeah, I I, well, I wrote it like I see him kind of in a Zaza role this year. Yeah, um, like you know Zaza, kind of you know fifteen, maybe twelve, fifteen minutes a night, and and maybe just plays with the starters. Like that, that's kind of how I envision him. If he starts, if he comes off yeah. the bench, then even better. But I, I don't see him playing that much. Well, you know what I love bringing it back to Gilgis Alexander for a second. Like one of the things that I think has uh, not been talked about is the point guard room, which we know how long like it's supposed to be like five years for point guards to really get a grasp on the NBA game and everything else, reading defenses, running an offense, that kind of stuff. But what's going to help is he has the perfect like hodgepodge of guards around him where it's like, they all have their own like area of expertise that he can kind of learn from because you have Lou Williams, who's like a score first uh, primary ball handler. Then you have Pat Bev who just made a killing off just driving opposing point guards nuts with it being undersized and being this defensive savant and then you have somebody like um teodosic who is just a flashy player who is just an expert passer and you just you have this room where it's like all these guys are so different uh at, in the backcourt i mean you could also throw every bradley in there too but like they're just all very different and do very different things for this team where like he can soak up all of these different um, perspectives on guys that um, he has a little bit of everything there. So he can just kind of go to different guys like, oh, I need to work on my passing lanes, my vision. I'm going to talk to Teodosic. Um, oh, what, what can I do defensively to improve in this area? Well, I can go talk to Pat Bev. Like there's just different guys that do different things in this locker room for him that I think uh, 
might be a big thing. That's just um, from an outside observer, but that was something I was thinking about when looking at this roster. I, no, I, I completely agree with you. Like, I, I think he's getting, um, and I, I think the really good thing for for him, I think it's to be good for Jerome Robinson too, because that's really uh, you know the other lottery pick. Like, that's really his only, well, not his only weakness, I'd say, but like that's probably his most glaring weakness, and, and the thing that most um, you know kind of scouts and, and draft experts held against him is they just don't know how he's going to compete defensively, and um, you know he's. Similar to Shea, he, he's not the strongest, like, you know, most muscular guy. And then on top of that, he's, you know, he's got like a six, seven wingspan where, where Shea's got a seven foot wingspan. So he's also kind of more on the on smaller side for, for guards anyway, uh, wingspan wise. Um, so th- there are some defensive concerns with Jerome, but I think being around Luke and Avery and Pat is only going to help. But I really think that the good thing for these these young guys coming in that it's going to be this this team is a bunch of grinders. Like none of these guys really had you know silver spoons handed to them in, in their time in the league. Like uh, you know Tobias has kind of had to grind, and, and you know there's been a lot of doubters about Tobias if he's not that good. Blah blah blah. Whatever. Now he's you know kind of the, the best player on the team, and. and probably has a very, very outside shot of making the all-star game, depending on, on how he plays this season. Um, oh God. But you got, you got, you got, you were prepared for that all-star Tobias Harris. Is that happening? I, I think, West? uh, I, I think it's, I think it's like, I, I'm, you know, I know I, I think it's out like, but if he goes, I mean, I see a scenario where he, he could average like 20, 22 a night next year. Yeah. Like, I don't think that's, he, he was averaging, I think 17, almost 18 this year. Like, I, I don't yeah. think that jump is, is that crazy. Um, Oh, no, I think they're they're going to make him more of the go. Like he's now the go-to guy. Um, you know, I guess Gallo. It's probably him and Gallo once Gallo's healthy. But you never know with Gallo. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah. So I think like Tobias. You look at Tobias. You got Trez if they bring him back. You look at um, Lou Williams. Is, is you know is a grinder. Pat Beverly, Avery Bradley. Like this team is just a bunch of veteran grinders who who have been in multiple situations. Um, you know, had, had to fight off guys for, for their roles. And like everything has been earned with, with most of the guys on this roster. And that to me is a really good, um, just kind of leadership uh, example for the two rookies coming in, because, uh, I think, you know, depending if they were somewhere else, it could be a much different situation where you, you, you know, like bringing them into the Bulls locker room. I don't know how that's going to be, uh, bringing them into the Lakers locker room. I don't know how that's going to be right now. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a good situation for the rookies. Uh, they're also not guaranteed playing time, so any playing time they get, they're going to have to earn, uh, just because it's so, you know this team is so stocked in the backcourt. Uh, so I, I think it's gonna be a really interesting season. But I, I do expect uh, my takes are: I think Tobias Harris is going to be a borderline All Star. Uh, okay. I don't think he will make it because I I just think, like you said, the West is too West like is LeBron is moving stacked. in the starting lineup, which is moving <laughs> yeah. someone that's moving someone out of the starting lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I don't think the Clippers are going to be good enough to really, you know, merit. At some point, it comes down to record, and, and I think that's going to be held against Spice. Another thing is I think Shea is going to find a way into the rotation despite, you know, potentially being the fifth guard heading into the also, season. Also, a lot of those dudes are going to get um, injured. Like, there's no way that yeah, yeah, no. is healthy. <laughs> no, 100%. Um, but I, I think Shea is, is going to earn minutes and if not start at some point, and I, I think he's going to – I'm really high on Shea. Same. 
who impressed you? And please don't say Josh Hart, because I don't know if I can take any more of the Josh Hart hype. Like, he's good. He's fine. Like, he's good enough to not play in Summer League anymore, but, like, we've got to tone it down a little bit, right? Like, he's he's fine. He's a good 3 and D guy. Like, he just, I don't know. I guess he's just, he drives a lot better than I ever thought he would be able to do, but, like, just the hype, like, him getting all excited and doing cool stuff on the defensive side of the ball with LeBron there was cool, but, like, I don't know. Josh Hart's fine. But now I'm worried that Laker fans are going to get to the point where they're in Celtic fan mode, where it's like the Terry Rozier stuff, where um, <laughs> trading Kawhi Leonard and oh, having yeah. to include yeah. Brandon Ingram and Josh Hart is like this outrageous um, proposition when uh, that's not the case. Like, Josh Hart's fine, but it's good for the Lakers that he is showing out in a positive way, and he does feel very Spursian. So maybe that's good for um, the Lakers and Magic and Palinka and everything else that he's excelling but um outside of him is there anyone else that you watched a lot of and you're like i think they're gonna be good this is not to overreact a little bit in summer league but um it is mid-july so overreact away uh wendell carter is a monster oh yeah. um he is wow like uh I, I was very impressed with him i think you know he probably has a chance of being the best big man in this draft, like right away. I, I don't know if I could say that long term, but like I think he'll be in that conversation, and that also makes the Jabari Parker signing um, a little bit questionable for me, uh, just for that reason alone. Of like, oh, oh there's a lot of reasons it, to, why it's questionable. <laughs> well, there's a lot of re- there's a lot of reasons, but like to me, it it just comes down to you now. I think Wendell and and Lori are going to complement each other really well that could be your starting front court, uh, you know, kind of four or five pairing for the next decade, you know, the next eight to 10 years. And you're kind of messing it up by bringing in Jabari who cannot play the three. So he, you know, you can oh, put him at the three, that. but that, that, that's, it would be uh, a subtle tank move, smart. right? Like, Oh, we believe he can play the three. Like they also want to lose a lot of games, but pretend that they're <laughs> trying and they're like, Jabari can play the three. It's like, well, no, we know he can't. Like, can you imagine a wing rotation of, him and Zach Levine and like Chris Dunn, just it's awful. And I saw a tweet of like, oh, they deserve a lot of credit for just the rebuild that they've done since um, the Rondo and Wade Bulls and before all that and Jimmy Butler and everything else. And it's like, well, no, like they're locking themselves into some. Uh, never mind. I, I'm gonna hold my uh, Zach Levine and Jimmy Butler and everything else takes uh, in a second. But to go back to the the summer league highlights like Wendell Carter I'm right there with you and um fuck man Sacramento Kings fans I think they got the worst of the two Duke bigs and you're not gonna believe this but the draft did not go right for Kings fans I don't think <laughs> I'm not I'm not ready to to write off Bagley yet but um, I'm ready to write him off as the yeah, best I'm, big in the draft I, I think we know I mean, that's that, not that, happening that, yeah no that's fair um I think that. Like DeAndre Ayton was not, I, I didn't think he was great, but I thought he was solid. And it's just kind of like, to me, I, I know we talked about it a little bit, but like to me, DeAndre Ayton was the guy of, of all the lottery picks that just had the highest floor. Yeah, like to me, like I don't me. see. Like, it reminds me of Blake where he's catching lobs early and it's good. It just, you can tell it's going to come easy and he's just going to score a lot, rebound a lot. And he's a better passer than you would think he is. Like, I think he's just going to be uh, a bigger, more physical, just freak of nature like Blake was, but like, I, that's who I see him as. Like, I think he might be a new Blake. I, I had not thought of that comparison. I like that comparison. Like I was about to say, 
I don't see a way. He's not going to be bad. Like, not, there's no way he flames out. Yeah, like I was just going to say, I, I don't, I see him being like, to me, his floor is, is almost like Andre Drummond. Yeah. Um, and Andre Drummond, for all his faults, is like, what, a top 40 player, top, you know, may, maybe his peak, like top 35. And he's then, on Houston and Capella's role. Like, he's seen as like this linchpin to a contender. Like, yeah, yeah. And, and center wise, he's yeah. like, so I, I don't see any way in which DeAndre Ayton at his peak is not a top 10 center, if not closer to that top five. And that's like me trying to be pessimistic. Now, do I think he has the same potential as like Joel Embiid or Carl Anthony Towns or Anthony Davis? Like, no, as of right now, no. But, you know, is he in that next tier? I think he definitely, you know, can and probably will be in that, you know, whatever that second tier of, you know, maybe like, five through seven in the center ranking. So yeah. to me, I, you know, I thought Aiton showed what, what he needed to show. Um, Jaren Jackson uh, enough, can shoot he, threes. He can defend. He can do everything. Like he's going to be really good in Memphis. Uh, Trey Young, I, I'm very worried. Okay. For. I'm not talking about, uh, Young. I'm so over this. I, I'm, I, it's already hurting me. I'm already over all of it. Well, I, I, I mean, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt, but okay. I do think we we've we've been looking to anoint the next Steph Curry for a while. Mm. And I, I just there's part of me that gets a little bit of a Jimmer vibe. Um oh it's like I don't know, like I don't think you know, a bad performance in summer league is like you know, write them off necessarily, but I do think that with with Trey it's it's like I'm I'm a little worried, but uh, anyway, well, here, I'll give you a D. I'll, I'll go ahead. Oh no, I was just gonna say, like the thing with Trey Young though, and the Hawks is that um, they were there at five, and they didn't have an opportunity to take anybody else, so they had to take Trey Young at five, and um, just go and take a high upside point guard. Um, if somebody like Luka Doncic, an all-time talent, who uh, Mark Cuban and the Mavs front office had penciled in as the best player in the draft. Um, if he had been available, then they probably would have pounced on him and um, not let someone like that, a potential all-time future Hall of Famer, go um, go by the wayside. Like they wouldn't move on from something like that for just a future uh, number eleven pick in the twenty nineteen draft. I don't think they would do that. Um, I, I don't think the Hawks and Travis Schlink would go down that road. I think uh, if they were faced with the opportunity to take somebody like Doncic, they would just keep him and roll with it, right? Yeah. Mm. No, I, I agree. I'm not going to get um, over the Doncic stuff for a very long time. Well, it's just it's it's now one of those situations where like it's always going to be like you know this is a conversation we're going to have in 15 years and kind of look back at who won that trade and oh no, and I think how. we'll know within a year. Honestly, I think well, we're going to know I very mean, yeah. soon. I think we're going to know very soon. But, but you, you'll yeah. know the extent because you'll see what happens with the pick and how yeah. valuable that pick is and who it turns into. Spoilers, and, not great because guess what? That pick's going to be like number 10, number 11 because the Mavericks are going to be good next year. They have a great coach. They are they have a, they have added DeAndre Jordan. They have a lot of guys who are ready to win now. They have a great rotation. They just brought back Yogi Ferrell. They have Wes Matthews. They have Harrison Barnes. Like These are not world beaters, but they are all vets who know how to play basketball. And uh, Rick Carlisle is going to win like 40 games with them this year and it's gonna suck and that pick's gonna suck and i'm just i'm 
I'm so <laughs> the dumbest trade. I, I just the whole point of the NBA draft and it, like you want to get someone who you could see as like a top ten player one day in the league. Like you want to have somebody under con under contract and under control for the next seven years, eight years, however long it is after that second contract. Like someone who you know, like upside best case scenario, like they're Hall of Famer, somebody like you can keep in like who will just be there in the face of your organization forever. Like it's while everybody else is zagging, we have the guy who's like, oh, he can do all these different things. Maybe he's like the Ben Simmons, the the Dirk, the whoever. Um, Trey Young, there's going to be like 19 more Trey Youngs that come through the draft in the next like three to four years. There is not going to be that many Luka Doncic's. Like even if he flames out, like that's a defensible pick because it's like, oh, this guy is insane. He's doing this at 19 at Real Madrid. Yeah, you take a shot at him. Like that's fine. Nobody's going to be mad about trying to take the next like Dirk, Ben Simmons hybrid. No one cares. Like, that's fine. That's a defensible thing. NBA fans, especially basketball fans and sports fans in general, are just getting smarter and smarter, and they would not be mad at you taking Doncic over uh, Trey Young. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, not great, and I am, uh, I'm just not there. I think it's going to be a train wreck. I don't think it's going to be fun. And uh, I all I'll have this year is Jeremy Lin in a Hawks uniform, which is cool. That That's fun. Ah. <sighs> I got you going on that one. You did. Um, <laughs> yeah, I can talk about Luka Doncic and uh, Trey Young all day long. Um. So yeah. So the the Hawks are screwed. Um. They're not screwed. And, That's the other thing. It's like they're not screwed. Like they still no, have, no, they're fine. They, like, well, no, they're not fine. John, like, they're John gonna be really Collins bad. Really good. John Collins looks really good. I love John Collins, so I'm here for him. Like they still have like 19 more moves to make, and we'll see what happens. Like they're still gonna be awful this year. So maybe they'll nail the next one but uh if the goal was to build portland 2.0 they're on their way i'm ready which is not the worst thing uh mm. that, i mean there goes back to that kind of you know to tie things together there goes back to that mediocre or not mediocre but like you know slightly above average uh core that is a, is a perennial playoff contender like i actually think i, I have the blazers missing the playoffs this year um yeah it, Which, we don't know what's going to happen. It, like so many we don't, things we don't, still happen we don't. with them. I, it's so hard to forecast a team like that. But also not great that they gave Yusuf Nurkic that deal. I'm not a big fan of that one. No. And then um, Davis Walk, who I love. Like shout out to the Brooklyn Nets who signed Ed Davis and Shabazz Napier this summer. They're just they're doing everything right. I'm ready for the Nets to break onto the scene in a major way because they have been Sean Marks in that group. Ten out of ten. They even hired Pablo Prigioni as an assistant coach now. Like. Everything Netsy is fantastic. I'm 100% here for this Nets rebuild. And uh, it's just they're a really smart, well-run organization now. It's it's very weird. But uh, not a big fan of replacing those guys with, uh, let me check my notes. Yes, Nick Stauskas and Yus- Yusuf Nurkic. Not great. Oh, we have John Jenkins going off in Summer League. That's nice. Oh, Maybe he'll God. be. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Get excited, yeah, Blazers what, fans. What, yeah. what happens with, with the Blazers is... Because I also think, like, for the people that just want them to split up McCollum and Millard, um, I don't think it's that easy because I think, you know, if, if you're doing that trade, you're you're probably getting back one of two packages, which is you're either doing, like, star for star, where, you know, maybe you're trading one of them for, like, a wing or, or a big man, and you're just trying to kind of spread out the resources on the team where we don't, we don't want like two undersized scoring guards that don't play defense. Like we're going to have one of those guys and then we're going to get like, you know, 
a go-to wing scorer or just like a dominant big man, like however they decide that. Or you're trading one of those two for multiple players, which like we've seen maybe in the short term kind of works out and keeps you afloat. But like long-term stability, that's that's probably not going to get it done. So it's almost like you're either kind of like blowing it up and rebuilding, at which point, like, I don't know if it makes sense to keep either of those guys since they're already like both above, you know, 25. Um, or you're you're kind of trying to be like, all right, we're going to flip one of them into another player that kind of fills a need, probably at the three or the four. But then at, the, at the same time, like, you're probably not, you know, trade someone for Dame or trade someone for CJ, you're probably not getting back the same exact caliber player. I, I'd be surprised if they did. So it might be a slight downgrade. And then at that point, like, you're, you're probably just worsening your chances in, in the West. So it's like, I think they're in a really tough position where, I don't know, like, you know, standing pat kind of keeps you where you are, but I don't know if necessarily moving on from one of those gets them to where they want to be either. Like, it almost, to me, seems like you just got to rebuild. I really have no idea what they should do. They are in such a weird spot that I I would listen on both guys. Uh, I still would not trade Dame because it does feel like he is the heart and soul of that team. So, like, I the stuff with him potentially being the guy to move to Los Angeles and play with LeBron makes a lot of sense for Dame and LeBron. Like, he really is, like, the perfect guy to play next to LeBron. And it would be... Uh, the burden would be significantly lighter in Los Angeles playing next to LeBron, that kind of stuff. But um, I don't know. I just feel like they were so good this year and they were a top 10 defense with CJ and Dame. And that seems like the biggest hang up with that group was like, Oh, yeah. can they be a good enough defensive team to make this all work? And we found out this past year that is correct. They can do that. And yeah, sure. they got swept in the first round by the Pelicans and that was embarrassing and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, like I still just, it was a hugely successful season for them. And those two guys are still really good at basketball. And I still like a lot of their guys in a vacuum, but I would just focus on finding the right four. Like I think they're still really weak on the perimeter and that Evan Turner deal really hurts them. And they just have a couple of bad contracts if they're able to flip those guys without moving on from CJ and Dane, because guys like that are hard to find and they develop both of them. Like they're homegrown guys. They're two guys that seem to like playing next to one another. They're both top 20 players in the NBA. I think that's fair. And it's hard to get those guys. And I think they are, this is an organization kind of like the, the Pacers and teams like that, where it's like, they don't end the Rockets where they don't want to bottom out. Like, I don't think Paul Allen has any interest in going through a long-term rebuild, which is part of the reason he brought in Neil O'Shea um, coming from Los Angeles and everything else, where I think they're happy where they are, but they're also looking to make moves to um, kind of up their game a little bit. But like, if you can just trade for somebody like Kevin Love, or Aaron Gordon, or somebody like that, I think you do it. I think maybe that's what they should focus on, is just adding another piece rather than breaking up those two. Dame, to me, does not strike me as someone who would be okay with like rebuilding or losing. And not not that CJ necessarily would, but I think he, just personality-wise, he seems to be more amicable and, and just kind of more even-keeled, where, where Dame, you know, he could be a little ornery, and uh, yeah, yeah, I don't think he's going to tolerate and with, with Colin Sexton already there I, I just think you know CJ is more of a two Sexton's more of a one that just makes a little more sense CJ so McCollum's more of a two like I feel like there's a lot of Victor Oladipo potential with him where it's like if he got the that, league that, guard role somewhere and you played next to like a good defensive like Danny Green type or somebody like that I think he would actually be okay but he, he still could do that technically in Cleveland um yeah. 
Like, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think McCollum and, and Sexton just kind of makes more sense fit-wise than Lillard and Sexton would. So, you know what if I might you're do? Cleveland, I, I think you do that. I'm calling, like, Charlotte or Phoenix. Like, Charlotte because they have Mitch Kupchak. So, like, Neil Shin needs to call some bad GMs. So, call Mitch. See what... Because Charlotte has a lot of guys that are on just not albatross contracts, but not great. And it's a team that's, like... <laughs> like, it makes sense if you have LeBron or Kawhi or, like, an all-star wing or Paul George, whoever. And it would be really good. Like, if they could get, like... Batum back or they could get Michael Kidd Gilchrist and a couple other guys like Malik Monk or somebody else like just talk to somebody like that where they have like 14 guys in the roster um maybe like Marquise Chris who's falling out of the rotation and like just not seem it doesn't seem like he is long for Phoenix like see if you can get him in there and like maybe a change of scenery is somebody uh for him would be really good for them like call minnesota they have scott laden running things with tibbs like see what it would take to like i mean jimmy butler is like a pie in the sky situation but like that's what i'm kind of thinking about or you know what washington because they are running back dwight howard marquise morris Otto porter uh bradley beale and john wall so like what are they gonna be doing what are they gonna look like next year like who knows um i think they're just teams out there that like portland's still in a okay spot they're not in the best spot because they still have those contracts like i mentioned that are just not great and uh they'll have to figure out a way around that but there are teams in the league that i think that they could do business with that um could maybe get them back into not contention because um nobody's contending outside of the warriors for the next year or two but um maybe not a first round exit maybe get to get them back to the second or uh, Western Conference Finals, best case scenario. I, I don't know. I think Portland's not in a dire situation, but I also think that they have like three more moves to make this summer before I'm like, I have a good feeling on them of like where they're going and what their trajectory is going to look like. Yeah, and, and I really think you could also, you could say that for a lot, not only a lot of teams in, in general, but really a lot of teams in the West. Like I, I don't, Again, like, you know, going back to the Clippers, I don't know what they're going to look like by the trade deadline. Like, it would not, you know, if you told me they moved three, you know, they moved Avery Bradley, they moved Danilo, they moved even Tobias, like, you know, I, I, no one would really surprise me being moved on this roster besides maybe Shea at this point. Um, then, you know, Lakers, are they going to finally pull the trigger for Kawhi? And then on the reverse end of that, what's going to happen with the Spurs, you know, like to me, the Spurs are not a playoff team. If Kawhi doesn't, isn't play or they don't get something back for him. If, if Kawhi just sits out the year, I don't view the Spurs as a playoff team. If he comes back, it could be a 51 team, uh, you know, Denver, what's, you know, what the hell is going on in Denver? Well, I guess we'll get to them maybe a little later, but like, uh, I, there's just a lot of like, uh, you know, balls up in the air with, you know, uh, with, with a lot of these teams and it's just kind of like what what's going on um i'm, I'm pretty the, the west is, is super interesting because um I, I think a lot of these teams are going to look a lot different next summer and the year like uh there aren't many like cornerstones i feel like for for most teams like everyone's kind of available it seems like um except for the warriors <laughs> yep i think the warriors continue to make everybody go mad um, speaking of people going mad and front offices, uh, going mad, uh, the Chicago bulls who we mentioned a little bit <laughs> ago, uh, that I want to touch on briefly, uh, Jabari Parker is now a bull. 
and yeah. uh, Milwaukee renounced his rights and let him uh, go to Chicago for nothing. They didn't do the magic thing where they just re-signed him and hoped that they could flip him um, at the deadline or whatever. They were just like, no, we're just going to move on altogether. And I was looking at some clips on Twitter of just his defense. Like, defensive liability seems like uh, an understatement when watching some of the stuff that he's done the last couple of years. And, I mean, the multiple ACL surgeries and knee stuff is not great. Uh, he's a better shooter now than he was when he came in the league, which is good. He seems like a really good dude, like a really good hard worker and a good locker room guy. But, like, I just – the Bulls didn't need to do this because the Bulls are going to be bad. And my whole thing – and I wrote about this on Saturday – was, like, this team was still top five in attendance this year. Like they still made a lot of money. Like this team was terrible. And when you hear this about Reinsdorf being upset about them being as terrible as they were last year, that doesn't make sense to me because like you still made money because people still went to the games because Chicago is a great basketball town. Like it's a gigantic market. It's an underrated market. When you talk about like Chicago versus New York and um, LA, it's like, Chicago is number one, generally speaking, in attendance. Like, they are a great basketball town. You already have the brand. Like, the brand is built. Like, Jordan did all of that. You're good. Um, it's okay to be patient. It's like why fans in New York and Chicago and even LA in the last couple of years are so frustrated with these major markets and not just like, look, we are all gigantic basketball fans. We will, we understand if you go through a painful three-year rebuild, we get it. Like Philly fans just did with Hinky, like big market cities, like they're okay with it. The fans are fine with you going through a painful three-year stretch. So like, why are you getting antsy after year one when you got like, Lori Markinum was a huge success because nobody, I think, if you go back and read a lot of the early pieces on like that trade, because he was the big piece out of the Jimmy Butler trade. It's like whatever happens with him is like going to tell us whether or not the Jimmy Butler trade was a good idea. And he looks good. He looks like someone who's going to play in this league for a long time. He was better than expected. He's still going to be um, a huge question mark defensively. But like you drafted Wendell Carter, who you talked about and raved about earlier. That's a great starting point. And I think you didn't have to get antsy because I think the backcourt is still a blank slate. Like I don't believe in Chris Dunn as a starter. I don't believe in Zach Levine as a starter. I don't believe in Jari Parker as a starter. Like there are so many guys and they renounced uh, David Nwaba, who I, is just a really good player that um, some team's going to love to have him. He's probably going to be a warrior or something and just <laughs> wreck havoc again for a year. Maybe like Houston. That's actually where I want him to go is Houston mm-hmm. to replace like a Reza or somebody like that. But um, yeah, yeah, I, I, love just, the Houston I, I don't understand why they signed Jabari like he's a hometown kid but it's like what Bulls fan at this point is like yeah hometown guy we finally are going for it again like we're not going through I feel like the reaction has been like what the fuck are you doing like you don't have to do this like it's only a two-year deal but like he can't play the three so unless you view him in this team views him as like a third big where it's like he's gonna only play like 20 minutes a night behind those guys so that they still get the majority of the minutes at the four and the five then okay maybe but like I just I don't understand why they're tying up so much money to Zach Levine and Jabari Parker for the next couple of years because they already have Robin Lopez still in the books. They have other co- like Omar Oshik's making like ten million dollars for them this year. Like I don't understand why sixty percent of the cap this year is going to go to Jabari Parker, Zach Levine, Robin Lopez, and Omar Oshik. Like that's just mismanagement of the cap and just I don't understand why. They're doing this. Like, they don't have to do this. Like, you're doing so well. You have Wendell Carter. You nailed it. You, It was a great pick. You nailed Laurie Markkinen. Perfect. Chris Dunn, not good. Zach Levine, not good. Jabari Parker, not good. You don't have to do this. Just 
keep drafting well because you've nailed the last two drafts. But when you get these other teams' players, it's awful. Like, you got Chris Dunn from Minnesota. They messed that one up. You got Zach Levine. Not, like, he's whatever. Like, he's a third rotation guard. He's Jamal Crawford at his best. Whatever. Not a starter on a contender. And then Jabari Parker is not a three. So, what are you doing? I don't, like, uh, I'm so fresh here with the Bulls because I want cities like the Bulls to have good teams because I think the NBA is better when the Knicks, the Bulls, and the Lakers are good. And this is just, it feels like a watered-down version of the Rajon Rondo, Dwayne Wade stuff from a couple years ago where it's like they got antsy again and they saddled Hoiberg with something where it's like, how do you expect him to succeed when you gave him Jabari Parker to play the three this year? What What are you doing? Ran over. Uh, so I pretty much agree with everything you just said. Um, for contrarian sake, I, I do, I do see some up, like, look, they, they, it's only a two year deal. Uh, I, I do think that if you gave him even, even a three year deal, uh, obviously four would, would be disastrous. Um, I, I do think like, you know, looking at the bulls cap situation, um, they already were going to be kind of like they're going to have a lot of the guy, a lot of guys on the books for next season as in 1920. So I almost think they're viewing like the next two years as, you know, really after that it, it's, um, you know, you got that. So this is now, you know, the next two seasons have passed and now we're looking at 2021. You're going to have Zach, you're going to have Felicio, which is a pretty, uh, the Felicio contract. That, that one's great. Um, I will not move on. Felicio, I still like him. I don't know. What I like him. I, I, I don't like I him at move 8 on. million a year. Yeah. I do not like him at 8 million a year. Um, yeah, it's too much. Uh, then you're going to have Lori. You're going to have Wendell. Uh, you're going to have Chris Dunn heading into restrictive free agency. Uh, you're going to have Denzel heading into restrictive free agency. And then you're going to have Chandler Hutchinson. So you really have roughly on the books two summers from now about quickly doing the math, like kind of around like 40 million. So to me, I almost feel like they're viewing the next two years as like, let's just kind of mishmash all this young talent together, which I'll say like, I'm not a big Jabari fan. I, you know, I thought the Wiggins versus him thing was really stupid at at the time of the draft. Uh, Obviously it's, it's not aged well for either guy. But I still would probably have Wiggins not on his contract, but but just overall in, in a vacuum. Um, but that said, like I do think there is some still some untapped upside with Jabari. Uh, obviously, I agree he's not a, you know he's not a three, he's a four, so it is a bit of a weird fit. But um, I, I think there's some upside in just like let's just see you know let's get him out of Milwaukee. We're getting him away from that like you know you're supposed to be Giannis's sidekick, all that pressure that came with that. You know, he never really developed into that. Chris Middleton surpassed him. Uh, they got some other young guys over there that, you know, he, he was, he wasn't even their third best player. Um, probably closer to fifth or sixth. So uh, I think for him, it's kind of like a fresh start. Uh, you know, we're, we're investing short term, a lot of money in you, you know, which is kind of for some guys, that's kind of the support and belief they need. And then now let's go do your thing and then let's see how good you are. Uh, you know, there, there is some downside where, you know, you're, you basically are tying yourself up for him, you know, for the next couple of years. I don't think that's okay. a very tradable contract. And he's if he's fine. okay, then you have to pay him again. Fine. Yeah. But, but I, I think, I mean, I'd be very surprised if he plays at a 20 million level. Like I, I think 
this is kind of a short-term cash grab for him. And then in 2020, when he's a free agent again, you're giving him, you know, he's maybe in that like the vet minimum at that point. Yeah, maybe he's out of the league or he's getting like, I don't think he's out of the league, but I think he's like vet minimum in like five years or less. So maybe three or four seems about right. Yeah, I mean, for for like I'm really low on him. Maybe that's all. I'm I'm way I'm super low on him. Better with that deal than the Zach deal, just because of simply the years. Um, like you know, and although I I would say Zach's probably the better player right now. um, Yeah, I would agree, but I think it's it's also like you kind of have to be a bad look if they didn't rehab. Like, cause he yeah, was the other that, big piece um, of the Jimmy Butler deal. So if you like just renounce his rights and let the, him go to the Sacramento, um, would have looked bad. But at the same time, um, it's okay to admit you have a sunk cost there. And, uh, the Kings had, they just signed Zach Levine just would have been hilarious. And, um, if Sacramento is the only other team that's willing to go four years, 78 million for somebody like Zach Levine, shouldn't that tell you if you are gar packs that, uh, Maybe this is a bad idea if Sacramento wants this. Like, if Sac, you should always do like a WWS. Uh, like, <laughs> what would Sacramento do? Like, that is something that should always go through your head. Like, would they pay Zach Levine this kind of money? Would they bring in Jabari Parker into a front court rotation of uh, Zach Randolph, Scala BCA, uh, Marvin Bagley, Costa Kufis, and uh, Willie Cauley Stein and be, be like, yeah, let's pay him 20 million too. Let's just overload the bigs while the nba is getting smaller and faster we're going to go the opposite way and we're going to play uh uh, justin jackson and uh marvin bagley and all these guys together and we're going to see what happens like if that's the case then just don't like what nba fan would have balked at them letting him go to sacramento for nothing no one who's doing that yeah no i have to do it i agree and i I also look at like what's the market um, like on anything beyond a one, like, so the one year deal, right? Like with, with KCP last year and this year, both were, were overpays. Like there's no justifying 15 million or or 12 million a year for KCP, but you just kind of, okay. So it's a clutch client. It's helping get LeBron. It's helping keep clutch happy. And it's a one year thing where, you're all, you know, it's, it's very short term money that is going to allow you to have flexibility next summer when that money comes off the books. Jabari at two years, I, I think you got into the point where, where was that amount of money that the bucks weren't going to, to offer? And I feel like to me, it might've even been two thirty, like it might've been two twenty four. I, I don't know what the bucks would have matched. Um, you know, clearly not two forty. But he's not a Boonholzer guy at wonder, all. Like, there's no way he wanted any part of that. Like, he is yeah, the exact no, opposite. So. Mike, I love the idea of like Mike Boonholzer salivating at the opportunity of playing Ilyasova at the four and not Jabari Parker. Like, that's what it was. Like, they signed Ilyasova for three years, twenty-one million. Little, little rich for Ilyasova, but I'm a Ilyasova mark, so I'm here for it, and I think he's a much better fit around Giannis and everybody else. But like, he just doesn't fit there, and like, I, I just, I, I don't. It's never a good sign when the team that drafted, or in this case, like, um, just they moved on. Like, they were just okay, even because two years, 40 million for a guy as young as Jabari and it selected as high as him. Like, if the team is not doing whatever they can to bring him back, that is a bad sign. And I'm not saying like the Milwaukee has been this perfectly run organization, but the fact that they were okay letting him walk for nothing, 
bad indicator. Like, when does that ever end up well? When the team that drafted uh, a lottery pick lets him walk uh, before he even finishes out, like, contract number two. Like, that's that's a bad sign. So that's, uh, that's what you, <laughs> you just uh, brought up what I'm looking up. Like, so let's look at, let's look at the recent number two picks and kind of, so, okay, Lonzo still in the Lakers, Ingram still in the Lakers, uh, D'Angelo <laughs> Lakers. At Not three. Great. Uh, yeah. D'Angelo got traded in a salary dump. Uh, Jabari let go. Oladipo uh, got traded and broke out after that trade mm-hmm. uh, or kind of after another trade, actually. Uh, MKG still on the Bobcats slash Hornets. Not Derek great. Williams, uh, who's probably in, in spirit the closest thing to Jabari we have recently, whereas just that's kind of not that's that's fair. I think that's like that's just, very fair. You know, kind of this weird combo forward that doesn't really have a clear role, and like they can score, but like what can they can they do it's it efficiently? Like what else too. can they do? Yeah, yeah, no. The, those three are, are kind of very in the same light, um, and and then you have Evan Turner in Philly, which was it's <laughs> oh, God uh, Hashim to beat Michael Beasley, and then you go to Kevin Durant, Lamarcus Aldridge. It starts to get better. Uh, so yeah, I mean, most of these number two picks were either retained or traded. Uh, I, I don't think any of these guys just walked. Uh, like Derek Williams, he was traded, right? Am I, I'm not making that up. Derek Williams? Um, yeah. Yeah. He was traded pretty, so he ended pretty up, early on, right? From the he Wolves. Got, I th- yeah. Was it the Sacramento? It looks like. How'd he get Yeah. Yeah. Oh Sacramento? my God. Yeah. Wow. Drafted by the Wolves 2011, traded to the Kings for Luke Mamalute <laughs> two years later. Uh, and we saw, so, how, yeah, like, they, we know early on, like the idea of like, well, they're still young. It's like, if the teams are willing to move on that quickly, it's, it's just not good. It's hard yeah. enough finding superstars. And like, when you're drafting that high and you give up on somebody that just, uh, tantalizing that early on, there's obviously something seriously wrong there. There is something seriously wrong with, uh, the trajectory of Zach Levine and Jabari Parker. Like they're not going to be stars. It's not going to happen. You're paying them a lot of money. It's just bad. It's okay to so, admit, admit failure. Do it more often. It'll save you some money. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm looking at his. Yeah, Jabari. I mean, I guess the one thing you could say about Jabari is he's still only 23. So, like, in theory, I mean, he's already played four years, which is kind of nuts. But yep. Uh, and in two of those years, he's played less than half the season. Um, and three, he's played less than two-thirds of the season. So uh, he's really only had one healthy year. Um, I mean, Zach but, Levine and uh, Jabari Parker have been the uh, <laughs> the healthiest guys in the league the last couple of years, right? Yeah. Like they're someone, they're, those are two guys you can really count on to play a lot of minutes and uh, be around the team long-term. I mean, I, I think Jabari, for as much as much criticism as, as he gets and, and deservedly. So like, I think he's a more efficient and effective score than people give him credit for when healthy. Now there's obviously the one healthy caveat, um, but like his true shooting percentage is above average. Um, always had an above average PER. Um, like he, his percentages are fine. He just doesn't 
really do anything else, and he, we know he doesn't play defense. Um, and surprisingly, he not only does he not get to the free throw line, but he's not a great free throw shooter either. So, I, he, you know, the, Jabari has his limitations. I mean, I, I see Jabari probably as like, you know, a six man. Like, I think his, his probably best suited role in the NBA moving forward is like six man, kind of like bench leader of the bench. And, you know, probably a, just a bigger version of like a Lou Williams, Jamal Crawford, where he's going to come in, give you 12 to 15 off the bench every night, um, kind of let him be the go-to guy in the second unit, plays, you know, 20 to 25 minutes a night, and, and that's kind of his role. Um, and, you know, sometimes he closes games, sometimes, you know, he starts if someone's out, whatever, but uh, I, I don't see him as a starter. I think he's more of a bench guy and um, and yeah, and the Bulls are, are paying him to uh, twenty million a year. So that's uh, I think he'll be really great. good in China in twenty twenty one. I think that's where he's really going to find his footing and really break out as a superstar. He's, he's going to get a statue. Yeah, him, Zach Levine, everybody, they're going to be great. <laughs> um, another guy who might be in China within uh twenty twenty one, Isaiah Thomas. Let's talk about him real quick. Who signed the veteran minimum? You know what's weird is listening to different people talk about him and like I watched the jump and like it's a good story and Rachel Nichols is rooting for him and Ramona Shelburne's rooting for him and all these people are like rooting for Isaiah like he's been through a lot chip on his shoulder all that kind of stuff define the odds everything but he was kind of a dick this past year and it like I don't know if you saw like he doesn't seem like I don't want to say he's a bad teammate because we're not in there we don't really know what's going on there but like Remember the LeBron stuff of him just like just not even acknowledge Isaiah Thomas on a game winner and everything else. Like there's something weird about I I don't know. Like it kind of reminds me of Melo in some instances where it's like he is d- certainly not going to age gracefully in this league because I don't think it's it's going to hit him that he's not the guy he was in Boston a couple years ago. Like that guy's never coming back. And it sucks because it was very brief. Like he was only a superstar for a very short amount of time. One season, basically where he was an MVP candidate yeah. and then it was gone like that. And it's just hard, I think for athletes. And I can understand of like just admitting that, like I can't do this anymore. Maybe if he does uh, work out in Denver because he's going back with Mike Malone, a guy who coached him in Sacramento where it all began. And he doesn't have to have like a high usage role there. Like he can play off Jamal Murray. He doesn't have to start. He can be the sixth man there. But is he going to be okay with that? Is he still going to be someone who's going to be a positive influence in the basketball court? Because as Nate Duncan pointed out, he he was just awful last, last year. And uh, I, the numbers were not good for him. And if he can't shoot and if he can't drive like he used to, and we already know what he is defensively. And a lot of that is um, stuff he can't control. But like, well, you, he's might be unplayable now, which is insane for an MVP candidate from a couple of years ago. But like from what we saw last year, especially even down the stretch in Los Angeles, like it, uh, I mean, unless the hip stuff was all it was like, uh, he's already in his thirties. I, I just, I, I think we're loving the idea, the theoretical Isaiah Thomas returning, but it would not surprise me if he's out of the league next year. Yeah. So I have a couple uh thoughts on this. Like, since I saw him play, you know, with Cleveland last year, I've been saying he's Derrick Rose 2.0 and I'm standing by that. And it's just, you know, I, I think athletes are, are fascinating for, for many reasons, but one of which being, I feel like you, certain professions, you have to have inherent traits that, that get you to that 
upper echelon, like, you know, 1% of that profession. I think for athletes, it's, it's confidence. Like for, for us in the media, it's probably narcissism. Uh, <laughs> like I, I think you, Speaking you know, to kind of, Yovan. yeah, maybe I'm just a huge narcissist, but I, I do think to get to that, like, you know, Stephen A, Bill Simmons, Scott Van, like all the, the, the biggest players in the game, I, I think you, you inherently have to have a level of narcissism because I do think, and, and maybe that there is some transferable characteristics for, for both athletes and, and performers or, you know, media, whatever you want to say. Because um, with, with athletes, like the, you have to be so confident, right? Like you have to think anytime you're playing anyone, you're the best player, you're better than them. Uh, you can do everything better than them. And I, I think as long as it doesn't, you know, it, it can sometimes border on ridiculous and that's where you have your Dion Waiters and your J.R. Smiths and like people who just have no self-awareness. But I think, you know, if you're 90, 95% confident with like a little dose of self-awareness, I think that gets you really far as long as you have the skills and ability. But you see with guys like Derek Rose, Carmelo Anthony, now Isaiah Thomas, uh, they have not transitioned well into being role players. Um, Derek Rose has basically refused to admit it. And he's just, you know, is still dealing with injuries, still making excuses. Like feel bad for Derek Rose, but Derek Rose is not a, you know, he's not a star. He's not even a starter, arguably not even a rotation caliber player anymore. So he has not really come to terms with that. Carmelo Anthony, same thing. I think he still is a rotation caliber player, but he's not a starter. Uh, and he has not accepted that. Uh, Isaiah Thomas, similar thing. Uh, he, he, probably the worst of the three arguably uh and and might not even be a a rotation player uh so so i think it's going to be you know i don't think he's going to accept his limitations i I think it's going to be an issue in that locker room and i'm really interested to see how it plays out now the second thing is what i don't get with isaiah what i don't get with um what i don't get with luke mabamute to an extent is i believe like you know someone's going to pay you get the bag, like, you know, take the money, uh, earn as much as you can, whatever. But when you're dealing with less money and less money than maybe you could have gotten. So for, for Isaiah and Nerlens, they're signing for the minimum, uh, for Luke, like, you know, Clippers are gonna give him about four, 4.3 million. Like, I feel like he probably could have gotten more somewhere else. Like, uh, you know, the, the Rockets could have paid him more. Um, I just don't really get the, all right, I'm taking less money, but I'm also going to a situation that is either not that great basketball-wise or just not that great for me role-wise. Like Nerlens Noel, if you're going to take the minimum, why not go to the Lakers? I, I think if, if Nerlens went to the Lakers, he'd be starting. I, I think he's he's better than JaVale and, and would get a, a chance to prove that. Um, he, is a clutch, or he is a clutch client. And I, I just think it, you know if you're going to go for, for the minimum – go somewhere where you're going to start or play more. Like now yeah. you're backing up Steven Adams, who's making 25 million a year. He's and, and it's, clear, it's like Jeremy Grant, Jeremy Grant. I feel like, but that's, that's the thing. like so yeah. Steven Adams is, is really like, you know, he's a foundational piece. Like he's now their third guy and, and you know, it's probably closer to number two than number four. So Steven Adams is a foundational cornerstone in OKC. You just signed Jeremy Grant to a big deal. And, and Jeremy Grant's more of a five than a four. Uh, I don't see how much Nerlens is going to play and it's a two year deal. Uh, you know, looking at it, like, I don't think he's going to start. And then you're, you're, not, you're now kind of playing behind Jamal Murray and, and Gary Harris and, and, you know, Will Barton could play the two a bit. So like, 
it's just kind of a it's a crowded like backcourt where the, the Nuggets are they are trying to compete now, but you know it's that combination of trying to compete now and having young guys that I think does not spell a lot of playing time for Isaiah. And then Luke, like you know, I guess the Clippers do have a hole at backup three, but I think Luke kind of showed he he's more you know he's more capable of, of doing more than just that. Uh, he's actually probably more of a four than a three at this point. And and then on top of that, like the Clippers probably outside looking in in the playoff picture. So I'm like, why didn't you go back to Houston? Like, you know, now that Ariza's gone, you'd be the starting three, um, you know, to, it'd be you and PJ. Uh, you know, why didn't you go somewhere else that, that you know, they could have paid you more? Uh, I, I just don't really, I think it would have been a great fit in Philly. Uh, I just don't really get it for, for Luke and Matt. Like, you're going to go be the backup on a Clippers team that's probably going to be like 10 seed. Uh, it just doesn't make sense to me. So some of these signings, like, for Isaiah, I just think I, I'm surprised if no one would have paid him more, even if it was like Orlando giving him like three million a year. Uh, uh, you know, I, I just don't know how he couldn't. I feel like he could have gotten more money, not a lot more money, but a little bit more money or just gone somewhere where he would have been playing more. Uh, I think for that reason, like going to a Denver team where you're for sure going to be a backup and you're only making the minimum. It's just questionable to me on his side. On Denver's side, I guess I kind of get it. Like it's, they have no backup really point no guard. Like it's really Devin Harris, and they lost Jameer Nelson. And everything else, it's really just like a body there. Like who knows the system and knows how to theoretically play point guard with this group. Like he's, it, it's not a bad like him and Jamal Murray. Like Jamal Murray, obviously being a offense first guy. Uh, not maybe having someone like it back there could help, but like it's just there's no risk really for denver because they've been throwing just shit at the wall at backup yeah. guard for the last two years anyway with jameer nelson devin harris all those guys like i think they have their vibe now they have their starters they know who it's going to be and they're just trying to find guys who can play like eight to 12 minutes a night uh and not kill them but i'm not sure if it is that guy i think he still might be a plus minus disaster and i think he might be unplayable still like i'm we'll have to see it with him being healthy what that looks like but uh i understand why people don't want to write him off because he is someone who has been written off a lot in his life and he's been through a lot and everything else but i uh i don't know it just seems like guys when they reach their 30s and this kind of injury history and him already being undersized and everything else like i just there's so many red flags that i i just i err on the side of it not working out and him being out of the league yeah no i i think that the biggest thing for Isaiah, um, back to, to a point I made earlier, is just I, I think with, with him, it's setting the expectations and, and kind of accepting his limitations and, and his what his role really should be. And if he came out and said, like, hey, you know, I, I understand that, at least for now, right? Like, you know, show what you can do. And if you do it well, maybe you are ready for a bigger role. But I don't think anything he showed last year uh, indicates he, he's, you know, first off going to be healthy at the beginning of the season, but second off, like that he is still good and, and worthy of, of starting or playing a lot. So I think if he came out and just said like, Hey, you know, I, I'm ready for my role in Denver. I'm going to play, you know, 15, 20 minutes a night off the bench. I'm going to back up these young guys. I'm going to take them under my wing. I'm going to, you know, teach them everything I know, be a good positive mentor for them. I think that kind of frames the, the narrative a little bit differently. And it kind of shows if I'm an you know, opposing GM, okay, Isaiah is, you know, kind of being mature about this. He's handling it the right way. He, he knows he has certain limitations and he's trying to make the best of it. But I don't expect that to be the case. 
Uh, I think he's going to be upset with, with how little he plays. I don't think he's going to play well. And I think it's, it's not going to really work out um, overall. So uh, we'll see. It could be wrong, but um, I'm not really optimistic on Isaiah. Also breaking news on the pod. Uh, it's kind of breaking news. Um, Mark Stein just reported that the Philadelphia 76ers have been unsuccessful in their attempt to hire away Daryl Morey from the Houston Rockets and make him their huh. new GM. So David uh, Griffin makes a lot is just of sitting there. Just sign David <laughs> Griffin. What are you doing? Yeah. Just bring no, him in. I, I, He's right there. I think they should. I wonder how much money they offered Morey. Um, everyone has a price. So I wonder what his is. Yeah. Don't they have an assistant GM who also gets brought up in all kinds of GM conversations? Or, you know, they yeah. could do is uh, Sam Hinkie. Bring him back. Let's bring everything full <laughs> circle. Um, it needs to happen. Anyway, Yovan Bua, is there anything else you have? Uh, we're recording this on a Monday, so I assume you have more stuff in the pipeline. But um, is there anything else we should check out on The Athletic? And by the way, if you're not subscribed to The Athletic already, then what are you actually doing with your life? But uh, do that. And uh, is there anything else that we can look out for you? Uh, LA Clipper, Laker, or Leangelo Ball? Uh, going um, is there what, what what can we look forward to um well if if you are subscribed to the athletic or about to subscribe after listening to this uh thank you first off and uh i just wrote on friday um kind of a summer league recap with, with a bunch of observations i had um about the clippers shay jerome kind of the makeup of the roster and where it's going to be headed so um, definitely check that out if you're interested in the Clippers or just kind of summer league thoughts at all. Um, moving forward this week, I, I should have an interesting story um, kind of on, I don't want to spoil it, but it, it is LeBron related and it, it's LeBron and the Clippers and kind of breakdown of that, kind of how it impacts them, I guess would, it would be the, the shortest way I could kind of put it. Uh, just kind of how, you know, it's a pretty big move, but obviously the, the Lakers kind of returning to relevance and, and being good again, I think that has some type of impact on the Clippers. So running about that. Uh, and then I think it looks like I'm probably going to be going to Vegas next week for the Team USA uh, minicamp. Oh, God. So should be you writing away. stuff off that. <laughs> yeah. I'm, uh, I'm going to become a, a regular in Vegas soon. So. Uh, I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. It's probably a bad thing, but um, I'm not complaining yet. All right. Perfect. Well, Jovan, we will obviously talk again soon and uh, enjoy Vegas for the 17th time in the summer. <laughs> Sounds good, man. I appreciate it. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I uh, just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts, or iTunes, I would really appreciate it if you could take a second and leave the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, be sure to check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at Chase underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Uh, Thank you for your support, and we'll be back in another episode very soon. Thanks, guys. Nobody builds 5G. 
like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.